This is a Radio.com original. I, I think they actually made four of those Hemi under glass cars. Maybe maybe five, but I thought four was the number. Yeah, Bob actually has a piece of the tail, tail light, light from that. <laughs> yeah. I, our, our marketing manager at Irwindale Speedway came over uh, at, at one of the races and goes, gives me that an envelope and says, what's in, you know, take a look. And I open it up and there's a piece of a tail light. It's about six inches long. And he goes, I go, okay, what's that? He says, well, you ever hear of the Hearst Emmy under glass? I go, yeah. He says, that's what's left. Now it's... <laughs> Now it's embarrassing because now Bob wears it on a chain yeah, around his neck. Right. So it's, it's great. Kinda, it's, it know, glows. That's yeah. not embarrassing. That's cool. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome to a new edition of the Talking About Cars podcast, where it's all about everybody has a car story from celebrities to car personalities and others in the car industry. I'm Randy Cardoon. Thanks for joining us. As we record this, we are just days out of Meekum's Kissimmee auction, where the 1968 Ford Mustang bullet crossed the block and sold at $3.4 million, which, if you add the buyer's fee, is $3.74 million because you add in the 10% for a buyer's fee. Joining me again this week is our pal from Gas, the great American auto scene, G-A-A-S, Hot Rod Bob Beck, along with our special guests, NBC Sports Network's Meekum announcers, John Craman and Scott Hoke. And uh, this is going to be a fun one. Guys, let's go back, take a look back at the memories you have of that wild day in Kissimmee. John? Well, you know, the Bullet Mustang has been a great big question mark about where that vehicle is since really since 1970s. And a couple of years ago, the owner, Sean Kiernan, brought the car to SEMA as part of the Ford display. They announced their uh, current, uh, out of three different generations, they made bullet replicas, and it put the car out there in the spotlight. But nobody had any idea that the car was going to sell or that, or that uh, the Sean would sell the car and his family would offer it for sale. So anyway, fast forward to a couple years later to Meekum Auctions here, where it brought $3.4 million, and it's just been a whirlwind tour of appearances and promotions and speculation and it literally reached fever pitch that arena was completely jam-packed the car was surrounded it was unlike anything we'd ever seen in Meekum history scott echo that tell me a little bit about what you saw behind the scenes and how crazy it was well i would say exactly what jk had had kind of alluded to the the whereabouts and the mystery of where this car was helped to really fuel that fire that once it came out in the open, you know, long before anybody knew that it was going to be for sale, you know, people would flock to see it. And that went to another level when Sean said, yeah, last year in Monterey, uh, Sean said, yeah, we're going to take it to Meekum, Kissimmee, we're going to sell it, and we're going to sell it at no reserve. And from that point forward, I mean, John, you and I saw it at SEMA. We saw it at the McCacken Show up in Chicago. And even uh, at, at Kissimmee, the crowds around the car were unbelievable. I mean, they were swarming. What I remember, and I will never forget from Friday when it sold, was it coming into the building, into that Silver Spurs Arena in Kissimmee, and everyone, almost at once, it's, it's as if the pastor in the church said, okay, everybody please stand. And this thing came up, and everybody had a cell phone out, 
everybody was on their feet. They had to open up extra seating in the upper deck of the arena just to accommodate people. It was, it was almost indescribable, uh, the attention and the reverence with which so many people hold this car. And they, you know, frankly, couldn't believe that it was selling at no reserve at an auction. It was, a, it was really an incredible moment. Wait, 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 wait. wait. It no was reserve? no reserve? Seriously? No reserve, yeah. Wow. What, what do you think made him decide on going to Kissimmee this year? Yeah, how did Meekum get this? I know, John, that's really your sphere of influence here. So, so you can brag a little bit, but tell me how he made the decision to take the car to you guys. Well, you know, it's obviously a feather in the cap of Meekum Auctions now, of course, the world's largest electric car auction company, to be able to be entrusted to sell what a lot of people really honestly feel as probably the most mysterious and the most sought-after performance car. I mean, it's a pony car. I get it. It's a Mustang from the 1960s. And um, once we heard that, we were starting to... Uh, start talking with Sean Kiernan, the owner of the car at the time. It was it was surreal. It's almost like we you mean we have a shot at it. And then when it was confirmed, as Scott said, at uh, and and the rollout and Sean driving the car uh, the, up to a special display area at Monterey, which was August of nineteen, to officially let the word out that the car's for sale. It wow. was it, we were just all we were just all in total shock. Now that I've said that, um, we do. We we have had great success with selling high dollar Mustangs. In fact, world record price of a Mustang was uh, last year the 1967 Shelby Super Snake, the white car mm-hmm. that Carroll Shelby uh, built as a one of a kind for the Goodyear tire test. Car still survives in excellent condition with a with a 427 FE engine out of one of the uh, Ford uh, GT Le Mans racing cars. It's it's wow. is still in that car. So. That set the record at two million, and we knew the bullet was going to bring more. How much more, we didn't know. Was that something you think that lured him? Was the fact that you guys that put you on the map was the fact that you were known for selling high-priced Mustangs, or was there another factor? Do you think? I think it's a combination of things. Uh, Sean had said that uh, in uh, to, to honor his father. Um, he thought that his father would want Dana Meekum to be hmm. the caretaker in the auction company. He said, I just think that these guys would have resonated. Sean just had a really good feeling about all of the interaction and the meetings and the dialogue. And now, now, of course, we're just a few days past the actual sale of the car. We know that that was proven to be the case. The promotion of the car was top-notch. The dollar, bo- the dollar uh, amount that it fetched was extreme. I mean, $3.4 million for a for a pretty rusty 68 S-Code Mustang is outrageous, but it's the bullet. Yeah, no, absolutely yeah. true. Now, now, they, why do you, with all the things going on, why, and the negotiations, what planning had to go into getting this out to Meekum? I mean, why, he chose you because of your quality of what you do, but negotiations, what went on? I mean, well, the biggest, the biggest concern, there were two major concerns, and Scott can relate to this because we were witness to it at both of the public displays where both Scott and I spoke about the car and met hundreds, if not thousands, of people answering questions and talking about the car. Number one was security, making sure that the car was completely secure. Uh, there were literally guards that were hired to make sure that 
that the car wasn't damaged or altered in, in any way from its originality. That's the first thing. And then the second thing was was the agreement and the deal that Meekum had made with uh, Sean to make sure that the word got out. Very heavy promotion. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that was really the key. I don't think there was a car enthusiast on the planet. We'll see if Scott agrees. Car enthusiast on the planet that hadn't heard that this Mustang Bullet was going for sale at Meekum Kissimmee. Yeah, I mean, that was not all worldwide. Yeah, Scott, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say absolutely right. I mean, the promotion, uh, I don't know, John, that we have ever promoted a car. Now, granted, this is worthy of the promotion, but we've never promoted a car to the extent that we did with the Bullet Mustang. All well-deserved. And I'll answer, uh, I don't know if it was Randy or Bob who asked the question, why no reserve? And Sean kind of touched on this on Friday, uh, you know, around the auction. He said, you know what? I didn't want to go through this twice. You close the chapter. <laughs> you you make it happen. The, the car sells once. I don't want to go through all this promotion. And, you know, I'll tell you what. He, he and his wife, Sam, just had a baby about seven, eight weeks ago. And this has been physically exhausting wow. for Sean Kiernan taking this car all over the country and just being part of the promotion. And I think he was ready to close this chapter. Uh, And, you know, selling it at no reserve, I think, was a a great move. We know it's going to sell, and immediately people are on the, you know, on the phone and ready to bid. And, you know, and it it paid off at $3.4 million. So, so whose idea was it to put it in the car in that hermetically sealed <laughs> container left on Funk and Wagnall's porch until six in the morning? Yeah, that was again. That was part of the part of the agreement with Sean was is to make sure that we had just the the utmost insecurity with the car and besides. And we've done that before. We've done that maybe half a dozen other times where we put the car in what we call the glass house. It adds some drama. Obviously, yeah. to the whole thing, but it was really, really the most important thing was was to keep the car protected. The car, uh, despite the distress on the car, and you know it had dents and it had some rust and it had uh, you know definitely patina, it can, you know which is current speak for you know gee that's a cool old original, and it's <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, Sean Sean didn't want it. he wanted it to be he wanted it to be kept in that presentation right and man oh man i mean now that now that the smoke is cleared um you know sean's dad bought the car for 3500 bucks in 1974 mom drove it as her daily driver till 1980 It was the only car they had from 74 to 1980 in new jersey she was a school teacher drove it to work they took it on vacations it was just a car at that point and then sean put it away and at some point realized he had something special and brought it out i think just at the right time with the right promotion bragging again with the right auction company and boom big success and on the other hand now we've got a buyer that probably has acquired a car that that has been the dream of his maybe his whole life and speaking of the buyer do we know who bought it not yet we do not, uh, we do mean, not yet oh. yeah there, there are there there are a handful of people that do know but that has not been made public as of yet Ah. It, Do you be, think it ever will? Yeah. That's a pretty that's a pretty high profile car to keep uh to keep secret, keep under wraps for long. My guess is yeah, the car will be it'll be known. I don't know uh don't know when that might happen. 
uh, our agreement we have with our consigners and with our with our with our buyers, unless it's part of a promotion, is we 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 offer confidentiality. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we've been told. First of all, I don't know who it is, but I don't want to know. And even if I did, um, the word has gone around the Mecham organization that, uh, at least for the time being, that the that the buyer wants to wants to remain uh, private about it. Did you expect? Right. Now I know you expected some good money for this car, but did you expect the final number? I mean, that was just astounding. Well, Scott, what did you think it was going to bring? I'll tell the guys my number here in a moment. But what did you yeah. think it was going to bring? Yeah, I originally, I, and this is one thing we haven't talked about, is the Steve McQueen factor. I mean, that yeah. adds mm-hmm. uh, an infinitesimal uh, number that you cannot calculate on a per uh, car or per motorcycle basis, whatever that is. That's part of the reason why it went to where it did. But my guess originally uh, was somewhere between 5 and $7 million. That was wow. my guess. And I thought that was pretty realistic, to be honest with you. Uh, and I'll give kudos to our TV producer, John Sipperlin, uh, on our NBC Sports show. He guessed, and, and we had, John, we had dinner. We all had dinner in, in Kansas City uh, back in December, and I got it in my phone that, uh, you know, John Sipperlin guessed $3.5 million. And out of all of us on the air, uh, he, was, he was the closest by far. Uh, so nice. anyway, I, I had it at between five and seven million. John? Yeah, and I had I had the same number. I was telling people towards the end I thought it was going to bring at least five million. Uh, I had wow. publicly said, you know, I thought five to seven was in the ballpark, and I had people tell me, "Oh, you're crazy! It's going to bring ten to twelve million." And I had people, "Oh, you're crazy! It's going to bring a million. I mean, nobody knew. Nobody had any idea. Um, it was needless to say, it was a thrill. It was exciting. Um, it was somewhat stressful um not so much for us or for me but for for the kiernan family but as we saw the bidding begin to go we had a we had a lot of bidding activity in the one to two million dollar range once we hit three million dollars we were down to two or three bidders and once that happens you know that it's probably getting pretty close and when that hammer dropped at 3.4 you could just see it in sean kiernan's face and his demeanor that he was happy he was relieved he was proud uh, and you know, it was just one of those magic moments, like Scott says, we're never going to forget it. How is this? How is this halo effect gonna, going to affect all the other cars that Steve McQueen's got that Chad's now in control of? Do you think he's going to start releasing some of these cars that the, they've kept over the years? I don't know what's. I don't know what's out there, Scott. Do you know what he's got? What What might be part of Chad McQueen's collection? I don't, but that's a good question. Uh, you know, even somebody asked me the other day, do you think uh, Sean Kiernan should have, or somebody, do you think Chad McQueen should have been at the event involved in some way, shape, or form? That's hard to tell, and that's not my call. That's not anybody's call to make other than Sean Kiernan. Um, but who knows? I mean, anytime you put anything, I don't care if it's a, a leather jacket or a motorcycle or, you know, the car that was in the most famous chase scene in movie history, if it's got Steve McQueen's name on it, you know, there are still going to be people that that value that because of the connection to the King of Cool. So well, what Chad does, 
from here on out, who, who knows? Maybe he was on the phone and was one of the bidders. Maybe <laughs> yeah, he was. But, know. you know, keep in mind, don't forget, guys, uh-huh. that in 1977, Chad's dad, Steve McQueen, wrote a letter to Robert Kiernan, Sean's dad, of course, was still around at the time, wrote a, le- wrote a letter to him, which is part of the history of the car, uh, Solar Productions Letterhead, which is the production company that Steve McQueen owned that was actually the original purchaser of the two cars. There were two cars, two 68 Mustangs, that were bought brand spanking new and were put under the uh, Solar Productions name that were used in the movie, and then they were sold afterwards. The one car was pretty heavily damaged and basically ended up as scrap, and then the second car is this particular car. So I just have to ask the question and wonder, is Chad, and, and of course the Kiernan family decided not to sell the car back to Steve McQueen, was there some animosity, some attitude in regards to the fact that uh, the offer was rebuffed or not? And of course we don't know that. But that's a really good question. What may happen with additional Steve McQueen cars? Yeah, There's Chad's, probably some out there. Yeah, Chad's reproduced the car that made the jumps. And I'm, I'm wondering how he's going to market that now. Uh, it's a very good, very, very good question. Don't so, know. Don't know. so as you look back on this thing now, and, and again, you guys have some perspective now because it's been a few days as uh, we record this. Um, look back on it. Scott, let me start with you. Tell me about just, you know, you... One thing I noticed toward the end, when they were getting into the $3.4 million category, they, you guys didn't speak much, and they pretty much went live with the uh, auctioneer. What were you guys looking at? What do you remember is just some of the visions and sights that maybe we didn't see on TV that, that you'll remember about this? The audience standing up en masse as the car came into the building that may be one of the most enduring memories that I have. Uh, and, you know, we were just, we were just kind of ab- ab- absorbing and observing everything that was going on, uh, wondering in the back of, I was wondering in the back of my mind, are we going to get another $100,000? we going to get 3500000 million? Are we going to get the four? What's going to happen? Is somebody going to come in, uh, you know, from nowhere and jump into the, to the bidding war, uh, but overall, I was just watching the auctioneer Matt Morvac up on the top of the auctioneer yeah. stand. <laughs> that was interesting, uh, and yeah, and just seeing the the throng. John and I really didn't even have a decent view of the car. I mean, there were too many people that were there uh, in the way, uh, and that's okay, not a problem. I mean, that's 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 what it is. But I'll just remember that unbelievable group of people uh, that were around that car. Bill Stevens and I pointed out, and we were, we were just letting the pictures tell the story. And that's that's all we can do. Let the auctioneer tell the story and, and let people know what's happening in terms of the dollar amount. But one thing that Bill and I, Bill Stevens and I, had the same thought as that car was exiting the building was – you know what? That looks a lot like Arnie's Army, or as, uh, as as Bill pointed out, the gallery following Jack Nicholas, or the gallery following Tiger Woods. And if you have ever been, I've I've seen galleries follow all three of those guys: Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicholas, and Tiger Woods. There are no bigger crowds in golf 
Uh, and that's exactly what it reminded me of as that car left the building. Uh, that, you know, Scott, I knew I could count on you for that sports analogy. <laughs> well, that's good. That's hey, a that's, good thing. Seriously, that's, that's, the, that's the thing that popped into my mind is look at all these people following this car. Yeah. Now, you guys well, had some great success down there this week. I'm sorry, John. Go ahead, John. What do you, what do you remember? No, I'm just going to add one more add add one more tidbit. Um, Scott had mentioned earlier John Sifferlin, our producer, who's really sort of the boss of the whole thing when it's going on. He told us, he said, guys, lay out and let's listen to the auctioneer. Mm. The story of the car had been told so many times. Uh, and people knew about the car and, and all that. So we, Scott and I really, it's, I mean, at some point, I can't tell you exactly when, it's kind of a blur, we sort of just became spectators. And we were just sitting back just watching and enjoying it, kind of like everybody else was. Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, it was, it, was, it was different than any other car that we had. And we saw a lot of expensive, high-profile cars with a lot of energy, uh, but, you know, obviously nothing like the bullet. And I don't think that's ever going to be duplicated. I have a funny feeling you may be right. I mean, how yeah. often does anybody, even a Barrett Jackson, how often do they get a Batmobile that gets 4.2? I mean, you just certain cars come along right. once in a while. And and let me get into this next thing because you you had more cars there as a way kind of like the appetizer and the dessert after the main course which was the bullet auction and you had other celebrity cars you had uh you drag had both, racers yeah had two tommy ivo cars you had the Sox and martin car danny thompson those cars did quite well you know this auction we learned <clears throat> we learned one thing here and this is you know, Kissimmee 2020 being the world's largest electric car auction, it's, and it's early in the year. Actually, first day of the auction was January 2nd, Thursday. It really shows people what does it look like the state of the collector vehicle market is. And with as much excitement and as anticipation as we had about the bullet coming into the auction, we knew that was going to be strong. There were many other cars like, you know, like what you mentioned that uh, we weren't sure. And now we know. And we've got some rough information, uh, still putting numbers together this week, that it looks like another record, well, certainly well over $100 million in sales. Wow. We know that to be wow. the case. We're good. still compiling all the numbers, and we're, we're fairly sure that it's going to eclipse, from a dollar standpoint, it's going to be north of where we were at last year, which was a record. You mentioned um, Danny Thomas who is the world land speed record holder for piston vehicles with his Challenger 2, sold for $510,000, by the way. Danny's father, famed uh, auto racer, empresario, Mickey Thompson, built that car in 1968, uh, ran it for a year or two, never did much with it. Ford Motor Company pulled their funding. It went away till 1988, and Mickey Thompson says, hey, Danny, let's get the car out. Let's get it going again. Great, Dad. I'm in. Two months later, Mickey Thomas, uh, Mickey Thompson, assassinated in, in his front yard. Danny puts the car away, loses interest in it, is still downtrodden over the loss of his dad all these years later. But then decides several years ago, let's get the car out and see if we can break the record. Fifty years later, Bonneville That's... speed record broken, four hundred and forty-eight point. 757 miles per hour in his dad's 50-year-old car as a tribute and honor to his dad. We're all emotional about it. And it paid off in the auction block, going to a new collector. Danny's in the process of getting the car delivered and set up to the new owner right now. It's never going to run again. It's going to be part of a serious collection. And 
um, you know, another one of those Mika moments. Yeah, and yep. and Scott, some of your thoughts on that too, because I know that uh, you see these cars, and whether it be uh, the Sox and Martin or the Little Red Wagon or yeah. the Hemi Under Glass, I mean, these are cars that people have read about, and if uh, they're of a certain age, they don't remember those, but they know how legendary they are. Yeah, exactly, and you know, to have th- those cars at that level uh, and do well. You know, that was just, that's another, you know, another highlight, another feather in the Mecham auction cap and, uh, you know, confirmation that we are the world's largest collector car auction. And, uh, you know, it was so cool to see those cars that we, as you say, we've read about and some of us have seen uh, on the drag strip or whatever the case may be. And, uh, you know, even... I tell you, since you guys are in Southern California and the Oscar nominations came out just the other day, um, how cool was it for us to have the car that Christian Bale drove, that Superformance Mm -hmm. GT40 replica that Christian Bale drove in Ford versus Ferrari, which is now an Oscar-nominated film. Right. Um, And I also have to tell you, one of the the kind of moments that I get a chuckle out of is when John and I talked about – Christine, the movie car from that, uh, from the 1983 film, you know, I joked that that car drove itself up onto the auction block. <laughs> not, not, not true, but it, we all had the creeps, and, and JK, I'll let you talk about that, because we were laughing about that it still creeps some people out, even all these years later. <laughs> well, that was the only, that was the only car of the four uh, A-list movie cars uh, Christine was the only one that didn't sell. I think everybody's just oh. a little bit afraid of it. It did bid to Plymouth. <laughs> it did bid to two hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars, but wow. the seller was looking for closer to four hundred. We understand. Uh-huh. But uh, the GT40 from Ford versus Ferrari, the uh-huh. actual hero car uh, that Scott had mentioned, it brought four hundred and forty thousand dollars. And uh, one of the handful of real Eleanor cars from the two thousand version have gone in sixty seconds. The famous. 67 Mustang Resto Mod. It's uh, all badged up as a GT500. Uh, this is one of the exact cars used in the movie. That brought $775,000. Wow. So pop culture, yeah. significant cars, to car people, all of those, everything sort of conspires together to to, to, to really put these vehicles way up there for collectors. So it almost Boy, looks like... You know, we had them. Yeah. It almost looks like you're getting a younger crowd because these are newer... Yes version cars and and we talked when we spoke uh, the last time we saw each other but the baby boomers are aging out so this is bringing in newer younger blood if you look at and you watch the shows we try to get cameras out to show who the new buyers are when it's possible and there is a definite positive shift in demographics there is a there is a slightly younger uh, demographic that is evolving and getting more involved in collector cars and the magic age seems to be in the mid to upper 50s range which is which is the pre which are younger than the baby boomers which right yeah. now are considered guys mid to late 50s um, and I think it's more a function of not so much a function of interest in cars but of being a place in a person's life where they can afford to buy something cool and something fun and it takes takes a guy 45, 50 years old, and we certainly boy, we sold a lot of cars uh, at Mecham Kissimmee 2020 to couples, 
We saw a lot of cars where there were kids there, and I'm not talking grandkids. I'm talking children of children age. Mm -hmm. It's very gratifying for us old-school boomer car guys to see that interest in these cars, cars from our era, are generationally transcending. Everybody wondered about it. Right now, things are in place to see that things are moving along fairly nicely. Bob and I were talking about the Hemi under glass car that was up. And there was a question, this isn't the Hemi under glass car that Jay Leno drove and it rolled. This is another one that they fixed, or is it? This is another one. Yeah, this is not the same car. (laughs) Um, This was uh, interesting you mentioned that because this was a authentic Hemi under glass car, not a replica, not a, you know, not a remade car, but one of the actual handful of cars that that was uh, used and driven by Bob Riggle, who was the fellow that was at the controls when uh, Jay Jay Leno so famously ended upside down. Yeah, I've got what's left of the taillight. Yeah, Bob actually. I think they they actually made four of those Hemi under glass cars, maybe maybe five, but I thought four was the number of the original Hemi under glass cars from back in the day. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, Bob actually has a piece of the taillight from that. Yeah. (laughs) Our our marketing manager at Irwindale Speedway came over uh, at one of the races and goes, gives me that an envelope and says, what's in, you know, take a look. And I open it up and there's a piece of a taillight. It's about six inches long. And he goes, I go, okay, what's that? He says, well, you ever hear of the Hearst Hemi under glass? I go, yeah. He says, that's what's left. Now it's... (laughs) Now it's embarrassing because now Bob wears it on a chain yeah, around chain, his neck. It's, a, it's so great. It's kinda, it's, it know, glows. That's yeah. not embarrassing. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. you need, now, now, you need to, now you need to take it to Leno's garage and get him to sign it. Right? You know, I, 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 t- I took it over to uh, get Bob to sign it when I saw him last. And unfortunately, he was on a break. And the Man. guy that owned the car uh, was not happy with me. <laughs> so, so you guys have had such an incredible experience in this last Mecham auction with all the the crowds and everything else. How do you top that? Well, that well, is a very valid question because we ask ourselves that all the time. We always have when we have a big auction, whether it be one of our Monterey auctions or Indianapolis auction. Of course, Kissimmee is the biggest by far. Um, we always ask ourselves that, and it's too far out. Thank goodness, it's too far <laughs> out to wonder. But the Mecham consignment team always seems to pull something out of their hat and constantly reset the bar. Now, in defense of it, certainly us selling these many of these high-profile collector cars that that in the collector car world are are household names, it draws other consignments. It makes people say, Mecham's the place to go with this kind of stuff. They're doing the job. You can put a reserve on it if you want, or you can sell it no reserve. We leave that up to the seller. That's up to the consigner. And, uh, you know, we lay out all the parameters, and we tell them what we're going to do, and we always execute, and we do exactly what yeah. we say. And and uh, so we're, we're optimistic it'll be big again next year. But for right now, we're going to be like the Super Bowl champs. We're just going to relish in the, <laughs> in the success of what we did, try to get a little bit of rest. We are – Heading on up uh, on over to Las Vegas for the world's biggest motorcycle auction. That's going to be start Tuesday, January 21st, and run through uh, January 26th. We'll have good uh, TV coverage. Scott and I and uh, Stephen Cox and uh, our buddy Paul DeLeon, one of the top motorcycle experts on the planet, will have uh, lots of action on NBCSN for vintage motorcycles coming up. So, But we got this week, I'm in the office, and Scott's getting caught up on stuff as well, and we're going to try to just recover from this and then, you know, forge ahead into the new year with 13 collector car auctions on our schedule. Laundry, Scott. Yeah. Do your laundry. 
exactly. But I'll, I'll, I'll go I'll go a step further from what J.K. said and kind of put it in perspective. You, you, you back up, uh, you know, to 2015, Tim Wellborn brings a bunch of his world-class Mopar cars and ends up selling uh, one of the wing cars for $900,000. David Spade bought that one. It's like, wow. okay, what do you do the next year? Uh, Meekum followed it up you know, with something even bigger. Uh, how about Jerry Lee Lewis playing Great Balls of Fire live <laughs> on television as his motorcycle sells for over $300,000? I remember that. Then, yeah. yeah, right. Well, how do you follow that up? Well, fast forward. How about last year? You have that, as John mentioned, the, the GT500 Super Snake yeah. that sold for $2 million, the highest price ever paid for a Mustang at auction. Wow, how do you follow that up? <laughs> how about the bullet? Well, it always seems to happen. We always ask this question, how does Dana and Frank Meekham and the whole consignment team, how do they follow it up? We don't know now, but I tell you what, we're going to find out in less than a year. Man, does that you know, sound like a promo. Oh, boy, yeah. Well, I'm, 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 I'm glad uh, Scott mentioned the Wellborn collection. You know, we had over 20 great collections, and some noteworthy ones were Tim Wellborn brought a great group of cars. Um, our our good friend Michael Fuchs brings a lot of high-end late-model exotics, and Don Wallace was the owner of most of those drag race cars that, we were, that we've already talked about. Mm-hmm. Huge success with these collections as well. Guys thinning their herd, bringing them to Meekum, knocking it out of the ballpark. Yeah. Wow. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. So you guys are going to have the um, the next Meekum show is in Vegas the end of the month, or you? Yep, that's yeah, yeah. It's going to kick off. Uh, the auction actually starts uh, the twenty first of January at South Point uh, Hotel and Casino there mm-hmm. on the south, very very south end of the Strip. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it is it's that's the Kissimmee of motorcycles. Uh, was on that was on the phone today talking to one of the motorcycle magazines, and he picked out four uh, motorcycles to talk about, and they were. Uh, uh, well, of the of the four they picked out, three had estimated values of over three hundred thousand dollars each. Ooh, wow, that's so, incredible! Yeah, we're revving up. We're revving up for some more record prices. I tell you what, and we'll we will actually talking about NBC Sports. We have uh, our coverage. Our coverage of that event uh, begins on January the twenty sixth on NBCSN. But I also want to throw out a little plug. Because we have a show, <clears throat> excuse me, a show coming up on that same date, Sunday, January 26th at two o'clock Eastern. That would be eleven o'clock out west uh, on NBC called Mika Main Attractions. Mm. And what we will do is, it's basically a, a one hour. If you can capsulize all this in one hour, I don't know if you can, uh, but our guys are working on it even as we speak. The best of the best moments. From Kissimmee 2020, obviously the bullet is going to have a big part of that show. But if you missed anything, you want to check it out. That's on Sunday the 26th, two o'clock Eastern on NBC. We refer to that as the mothership, not an NBCSN <laughs> or normal channel. That is yeah, that's, that's the real deal. So 
Yeah, check that one out. John Kramen and Scott Hoke, the Jim Nance and Tony Romo of Mecham Auctions on NBC Sportsnet, giving us a side of this most recent auction you just can't get anywhere else. Hey, thanks for listening. Please share our show on social media. Subscribe. It's absolutely free. Leave a comment, and if you're on iTunes, rate us and review us. Five stars would be nice. Thank you in advance for helping our podcast grow. Our website is talkingaboutcars.net. Follow us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You could also hear us, of course, on Radio.com and KNX1070.com. Don't forget to subscribe to us, share, retweet, or both. And, of course, listen to Bob and I on his show, Great American Auto Scene, on the Bob Beck page on Facebook as well as on GotGas.com. Until next time, I'm Randy Crudeau. Join me and Hot Rod Bob as we have some fun talking about cars. This has been a Two Tired Guys production.